Well, this week I was messing around online trying to find an answer to why my chainsaw keeps leaking chain oil. And I can't, you know, everybody's got an opinion. So I go to Steele's website and maker of the, anyway, maker of the chainsaw. So I go there and I'm trying to find, you know, is there like, can I speak to anybody? And of course, you know, you can't speak to anybody live in person anymore. You either have to chat and I hate that. And so, I get, so then you like look online and they have this page called FAQs, right? Where other people have supposedly come before you asking the same question. Nobody had come asking that question. And so I was like frustrated by that. And so it's just like, and so I had somebody actually after the last service go, you know what I do? And I'm like, no, what do you do? And he tells me what he does. I'm like, that's not on the page. You should write in and tell them this is what you should do. But it wasn't on the page. And so it got me thinking because as we talk about this week, we're talking about church. And, and, and last week, Pastor Nick was here and helping us understand that we're part of a bigger story. We're part of a better story. But it got me thinking this week as we're talking about community this week, as we're talking about the church, it's like, so what is the church? You know, what, what, are, we, what are we doing and what is it? You know, and sometimes it's confusing to people because even those people that attend church or maybe don't have a full understanding. And I'm not here today to give you a complete, full, exhaustive understanding, although it might seem like it at times, for what church is. And so I want to look at just a couple of things this morning and ask that question and, and kind of clear up some things because we say some things in some of our creeds. A creed is a statement that, that came to be in ancient times because they were combating and uh, uh, what was called a heresy, something that was outside of biblical doctrine, biblical teaching about who Jesus was, who God is, and what he accomplished. And so these creeds got put forth. And one of those creeds is called the Nicene Creed. And in that Nicene Creed, at the end, it says, toward the end, it says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And people look at us and go, I thought this was a Lutheran church. And, and you believe in a Catholic church? Like, help us understand what that means. And, and so we do. We, we have a Discover class where we talk about our faith and we talk about what we believe. And, and this word Catholic isn't referring to the Roman Catholic Church. That would be a capital C, but it's a lowercase c. And that word Catholic there simply means universal or the church universal or the church everywhere. And that's what that means. We believe that there is one church and that is marked by God. There is one church. That's what we believe. There are, might be many denominations, but there's one church that we say we believe that God established through the Holy Spirit. And we believe that came in and we believe also in the apostolic church. And that word apostolic really is meaning that there's authority that God gave to those apostles, right? Just like God invested his authority in human authors in the Old Testament, God invested his authority in, in human authors in the New Testament. It was through the apostles. This authority comes through the apostles from Jesus. But they are the ones that he invested his authority in to come to us through their writings and through their teachings and through their practices. And so we believe in that church that God established. And so that's what we mean when we say the church. But I know some people are like still confused, like, so what is the church? And I grew up thinking this was the church. It was a building, right? It was a building, and that's true. I mean, it's a church, right? I mean, that's what we talk about in our culture. We define a church as a building. But really, like Pastor Nick said last week, you know, people even in our culture today believe this church is a building, or they believe the church is irrelevant or judgmental or just out of touch and boring. And 
I have to admit, that's exactly where I was. As a young 34-year-old man, I, I just believed the church was irrelevant. As a, as a teenager, I thought the church was irrelevant. I never stopped and asked the question, why are all these people coming? Never once. I just, I, I went because my parents brought me to church. And when I had the opportunity not to go to church, I didn't go to church because guess what? It was irrelevant to me. I didn't need the church. Right? I needed Jesus because that was too scary to think of, right? Life without Jesus. But I, I thought, I don't need the church. And I, I, so I, I didn't go. And, and I had no desire to go. And, and so you're sitting there today going, well, maybe something's changed, right? Since you're up here actually talking about church, in a church. And yeah, some things have changed. And so I, I want to kind of help us today. And, and not we could send you to our web, web page and say, here's what we believe. And we could do that. But really, we believe in actually giving you human contact and actually sending you to a person. And so this morning, I want to kind of ask this question. What is church? And, and to do that, I want to look at some of God's word. And I want to look at what marks a church as we look in God's scripture in today's reading to help us understand and get a better picture of what the church is. And, and really, in doing that, I think we understand what the church isn't. Right? And one of the things we say the church isn't, okay, it is. This is a building. But that's not the biblical understanding of the church. The church is a people. It's not a building. And Jesus himself says this in Matthew chapter 18, where he's helping the church, the people of God, resolve conflict when there's conflict, because we're the church. We're not perfect. We're humans. There's going to be conflict. So Jesus is smart, and he tells us how to resolve that. We would be smart if we followed him, but we don't always follow him. Here he's telling us how to do that. Go and talk to that person that you have a conflict with. Don't go talking to somebody else. Go talk to that person. And if they won't listen, bring somebody else. And then if they don't listen, pick up the church, the building, and take it with you. That's not what he means. Right? No, no. Bring the church with you. Bring the people of God with you to talk to this person. And if they won't listen to the people of God, well, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Which is interesting because the way Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors was he loved them. Right? He forgave them. So I think it's funny, you know, sometimes we read more into that. But anyway, the church is a people. It's not a building. And so Jesus was very clear about that. But then what makes us different? When that word that he uses there, church, is ecclesia, this Greek word, really means an assembly, a community. But it's specific to a Christian community, a, a, a community, an assembly of people that believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that believe him to be God, that he believed him to be crucified and dying for our sins and rising to new life and, 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 and really restoring an opportunity for us to have a relationship with God. And, and so that, that, that's what he means by the church. That this, this community, this assembly, would be Christian in nature. But what marks this Christian? Why is this church Christian? What, what is it that marks us as a church that Jesus talks about here? And I would argue from Scripture that what marks us is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that actually makes us a Christian church. And what do I mean by that? Well, in order to understand that, I want to help you understand what we believe and what Scripture teaches us about the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit, as you saw in that creed, as the ancient fathers taught, that we believe the Holy Spirit is God. Because it says he's worshipped and glorified. 
And only God in Scripture is worshipped and glorified. They believe, as we read in Scripture, that the Holy Spirit is God. There are numerous places where we see that. And one of those, I think clearly, the writer of Hebrews teaches us, that this Spirit is eternal. Right? It was through the Spirit, through the Spirit that Jesus offered himself, and the power of the Spirit, this eternal Spirit. In Scripture, only God is eternal. But here, they're ascribing this quality to the Spirit, the Spirit himself is eternal because the Spirit himself is God. And in this passage, we see all three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, each unique from the other, each with their own attributes, each with their own roles. And one of the roles that the Holy Spirit plays is to mark the church as God's because he is God. And we see that in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He says, do you not know, he's talking to this Christian church, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? See, Paul's talking to a Gentile culture, but also a Jewish culture where God's presence was thought to have dwelled within the temple. But on the death of Jesus, that, there's a temple curtain that tears and exposes the most holy of places in this temple and the writer of Hebrews tells us now we have access to this presence of God. And, and here what Paul is telling the church and telling us is that this spirit of God, God himself dwells in our midst. It's like, do you not know that you, and in that phrase there, that you is plural, meaning don't you know all y'all, right? It's not just y'all, it's all y'all. When you gather the presence of God is with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. He is what marks the church as God's church, as the church that Jesus speaks of. We are the church because the Holy Spirit is here. And more than that, we are the church because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Paul again tells us, he says, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Not only does the Holy Spirit present here when we gather, but he's present here in us as we gather. And we, together, are God's church because he has claimed us and named us. And he has claimed us and bought us as his own. And we are the church when we gather, and we are the church when we leave. We do not have to be physically together for us to be the church. And it's not just those meeting here in this building. It is everyone that God has claimed as his own, everyone on whom, in whom he has given his spirit. We together, universal, are the church of God. That is the church that Jesus is speaking of. We are the church here and when we leave, we are still the church. When does he do this in us? The writer of Hebrews says this, or I'm sorry, the writer of Ephesians, which is Paul, says this, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. At the moment you believe, the moment God produced faith in your heart, God marks you. He gives his spirit to you and claims you as his own. It's as though this is this earnest money that he's put down on you. That he's done. He's claimed you. 
He says you are holy. Not because of the things you do, but because he claims you and says you are holy. Because he is a holy God. We are the church because he says we are the church. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what the writers of the New Testament are trying to teach us. And here in Acts, they're giving us these outflow of what the church then looks like. What does this church created by God, sustained by God, empowered by God, and sent by God actually look like in the world that they live in? And I believe these teachings help us today. And so today I want to look at these four things that I think mark what a Christian life looks like and what a church looks like. And I know you're sitting there going, wait a minute, not three things? Don't you always say three points? What's with the fourth point today? So you can write this down in your Bible. Today, Tony talked about four points. And so there's four things I want to look at that I think we can see that mark the life of the church, which mark the life of a Christian. And the first one is boldness. We see boldness in the life of this church. Why? Because the Spirit of God is there. The Spirit of God is in them. Right? Paul does write to Timothy and said, God didn't give us a spirit to be timid, to, be, to back away. No, he gave us a spirit to be, to be powerful, right? But not just powerful in a, in a bludgeoning way, but with love and self-discipline. Right? We do so lovingly and we do so self-discipline. Sometimes we want to say things, but we realize those wouldn't be beneficial. So we exercise some self-discipline when in God's power. But we... Make no doubt about it. We were not given a spirit of timidity, one to back down, right? And we see this clearly in the life of Peter, right? Peter that we read in the text earlier. We see Peter coming back with John after being before the Sanhedrin and coming back and sharing what they'd said in their presence. Now, if, if you've read the story and if you haven't read the story, Peter's one of the disciples, one of the apostles, that on the night Jesus was betrayed, betray, betrayed him. He was the one that we think about betraying him. All of them left him. All of them deserted him. But Peter's the one we think of because Jesus said, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, the night that Jesus, before he was killed, three times said, I don't know him. This, this man who said, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, to whom else should we go? says, the night that Jesus was arrested, I don't know the guy. No, I'm not, I'm not his. No, 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 you're, no, I'm not with him. You're looking for him. You're not looking for me. That was Peter. What changed? Well, as Pastor Nick shared with us last week, what changed was the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. When Peter and all the disciples were there at the temple, and God breathes out his spirit onto the disciples, and we're told that Peter's so bold that he actually stands up there at the temple and starts preaching the gospel. In the view of all the religious leaders, in the view of all of Jerusalem, Peter's proclaiming Jesus Christ to be risen. This guy who denied him is now saying, I can't help but talk about what I've seen. And what makes the difference? The Spirit of God is living in Peter. Now Peter doesn't have a spirit of timidity, but one of boldness, one of assertiveness. And now he comes back after standing before the same people that tried Jesus, the same people that sent him to the Romans to be crucified. Peter and John were standing before answering some of the same questions. And in their midst, Jesus is risen. He is the Messiah. 
The man you crucified that you thought was an imposter, he is the true Messiah. He is alive. And that is by the power of the Spirit that he speaks that. Not because Peter is some bold guy, which we see he wasn't. But God changed his heart. God changed Peter and gave him a spirit of boldness and power. And we see that in their lives. And they come back and they share with the community about what they'd seen. And all the community, what's the first thing that they do? They don't sit there and go, okay, I'm next, and they go running off. No, the first thing they do is they pray. The church, the people of God are marked by boldness, but they're also marked by, by their people of prayer. The very first thing they do is they bow down and they, they exercise this, this understanding that it is God that did this. That is because what he has done, it's his spirit that's enabled them to do this. And so the first thing they do is pray. And not just pray individually, they all pray together. It's a community that prays together. And not just any prayer, they're praying the Psalms. This text here in the middle where it talks about, why is it, Lord? Why do the nations rage and people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against the one, his anointed one. They're acknowledging that it is God who is sovereign. It is God who has done all this. The first thing they do is they drop to their knees and they pray. Because without him, we can't accomplish anything. Without the spirit of God leading us, we, we, we can't accomplish what God desires us to accomplish in this world and in our lives. And in this prayer, we see something that I believe also marks the life of the church because it marked our Savior, and that is humility. Right? It's a humility before God. On our knees saying, this happened because you decreed it. This happened because you are the sovereign Lord. I am but, we are but tools in your hands. This is what he says. He said, they did, talking about what Pilate and Herod and, and the leaders of the church did, they said, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. People of God are marked by humility before God. We fall to our knees in prayer humbly acknowledging that if it were not for God's grace, if it were not for his mercy, where would I be? To whom else would we go? It's an acknowledgement that he is God and I am not. That he sees things and knows things far beyond my comprehension. The writer of Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity on all men's hearts, but we don't know even what's going to happen tomorrow. But yet God does. And here we see God's sovereignty playing out, and, and what God had decreed would happen came to be. And you also see, I believe, this acknowledgement that this humility, this, this sort of like praising God, that they get to walk in Jesus' footsteps that they actually get to experience some of what Jesus experienced in the persecution and in the, in the ridicule. And they thought of that as a privilege. They thought of that as an honor. 
And they're praising God for it. And here's the other thing that they pray for. Give us boldness. <laughs> Give us boldness to keep praying and keep proclaiming God's news, right? Because they knew it wasn't going to get easier. They weren't just going to leave Peter and John alone. They weren't just going to leave the church alone. If they were going to continue to do what Jesus called them to do, they needed the boldness that only came from God. And so we, as a church, as a people, we're bold because God gives us boldness through the power of the Spirit. But he does so with a, with a posture of humility that we're to go forth in that boldness, proclaiming him as Lord and Savior, not me. They say, Sovereign Lord, you are God. You are God alone. I am but a tool in your hands. You are God. You know better. And in all kinds of circumstances, in times of good, in the times of struggle, we're called to fall to our knees, being reminded when we do that God is still sovereign. And while we don't understand it, he does. We as the church don't have to have all the answers. But we know someone who does. And so we find hope and peace as we humble ourselves before God. But the other thing that I think you see marking this Christian community that should be marking the church today is this air of unity. I think sometimes we get this word mixed up with the word uniformity, and we think that in order to be in God's church, we all have to be the same. We all have to look the same. We all have to, have, we all have to talk the same. We have to learn the same Christian language. And that's just not the case. We see here in this early church people from different languages, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic status, different genders, male and female, together coming together worshiping God, children coming and worshiping God together. This was a different-looking community, and what marked them as different was the unity, was them being one. And again, we shouldn't be surprised by this because that was Jesus' prayer for the church when he, when he was arrested that night. He prayed that those that would believe in his message through these apostles would be one as he and the Father are one. And you see this working out in this early church. You see them working out as they, they didn't consider their possessions as their own. They, they saw their possessions as his and something to be used to care for this community. We saw a community that was bold in their witness, one that knew to go to their knees in prayer because that came from him, one that was marked by the humility of the one who saved them, and one that was united in the will and the purposes of God for their individual lives and for the life of this church. They were all seeking after God's will, united behind that mission, that they could see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. And the outflow of that unity was marked by acts of service, caring for one another, caring for the widows and the orphans in their midst, caring for those who did not have, people selling property. We see it was marked by love. They cared for not just the people in their midst, but for those outside. They prayed that God would heal. 
that God would bring healing in this land. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This isn't a request. This is an acknowledgement of who God is, that this is what he does. And so when we see miracles, when we see healings, when we see these things happen in our time, we know whose hand is at work. It is God who is doing that work. And we, the church, are called to go forth in that same love and care and concern for the people in our midst as well as the people outside the church. And in doing so, you see this unity, this, this unity flow out into this very generous, this, this so ridiculous generosity where people who had much gave to people who had, didn't have, and as I said, sold property, as we see, and brought the money to be distributed to the people that needed it. And, and this was so countercultural to this time because what you had, your property, said something about you. But they're saying, no, my property says nothing about me. Jesus Christ says something about me. The Spirit testifies to my spirit about who I am in Jesus. And my property, my things, my stuff, my money says nothing about me. But they saw those things as gifts, as things to be used for the purpose of God, for the, for the help of those people in their midst and those beyond. This outflow of unity is marked by this spirit of generosity, a spirit of love, and, and, and just this spirit of serving. That is the church. That is what God is calling out. That is what we see the apostles living out. And, and, and Scripture calling us to live and, and to be the church, to be otherworldly. Not to live and to act and treat one another as others do, but in the, in the vein of our Savior, to think of others as better than ourselves. And to be servants in love, giving from what God has given to us. The people of God, the church of God, is marked by boldness, one of prayer, one of humility, and one of generosity, one of serving. One of unity, united behind the one God, one God, three persons, one God. That is what changed my heart from seeing the church as a building, seeing the church as irrelevant, to the church being just like the most beautiful thing in the world to me. See, when we moved here 28 years ago, and we came to Trinity 27 years ago, 34, 35 years old, church was irrelevant to me. Didn't make any sense. So what changed? Well, definitely the Spirit of God changed and, and, and really kind of revealed to me that maybe I didn't know as much as I thought I did. But what really changed was the people, right? People like this, who came alongside this arrogant young man who thought he had everything figured out and, and labored alongside of me and, and loved on me and my family. Because when we moved here, we didn't have family or friends here. And I know you're looking at me and saying, Tony, you had no friends? But yeah, that's true, I had no friends. I don't, I don't say that anymore. I have dear friends. In fact, I would say I have more than friends. I have a family, because that's how I see this church. 
this church is a family. That's what the church is. It's the family of God. And families are messed up. Families are messy. Families aren't perfect. If you're coming here for the first time today, you're going to see that. Right? There are places that you can go and I'm sorry, Erica and Kendall, but there's places you can go and there's music, other music, right? There's certainly sometimes probably better teaching. There's probably better things that go on other places, but there's only one place on earth that we exist right now, and that's right here. And God has called us here. God has called us here to be a family so we could experience him. Because I believe we experience him in community. And it's in that community that we're called to share him through that community. And so here's my challenge for all of you today. Whether you're here for the first time, whether you're here maybe for the second or third time, or you're here for the 9,000th time. I don't know if that's even possible. But anyway, 9,000 times. My challenge to you is to lean in. It's to lean in when your, your, your nature says, no, lean away. I'm not so sure I like that person. I'm not so sure I agree with that message. I'm not so sure that I want to do what they asked me to do. I want you to lean in. And I ask you to do that because had I not leaned in, and I'm not saying I leaned in by my own power, I leaned in by the power of God, that he used the people to draw me in. But I want to encourage you to lean in because you just have no idea what God can do. That's why we say this month, this is about getting into small group. Because it's about experiencing God in community where we can ask questions and say, like, what does that mean for me? And, and how can I help other people? I, don't, I, don't, I can't even help myself. How can I help other people? And we can learn how to walk with one another and share with one another and care for one another to where one day you wake up and say, I don't know how I live without, a, without the church. I don't know how I would exist without the church. So no matter where we are, where we go, the church is there because Scripture says the church will prevail. So I want to encourage you, lean in. If you've been resisting small groups, lean in. Because I believe it's there, the transformation, the work that God does in your heart happens there that really can't happen here. I'm not saying this isn't important, but this is a part, this is a piece of what it means to be the church. I want to encourage you to lean in. If, if you're here for the first time and you're kind of trying to figure out, well, do I even want to come back? I say, come back. Lean in and see if what we say doesn't change. Is it the same gospel? Are we teaching the same things? Lean in. Get to know people. Lean in. Join a small group. Come to our Discover series. Find out what it is we believe, what we teach, and why we believe community is so important. Lean in. Don't back away. Put God to the test. Put him to the test and see if he does not come through and reveal himself to you and reveal himself and his church to be something far more than you could ever imagine. Next week, we're going to talk more about the why over these next few weeks, why the church so come back next week. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for your word, for your encouragement, for your suffering for us, for your patience with us. Father, we the church confess to you this morning that we follow our own ways. We like to go and tout our own power. We like to go in our own strength.
And we confess to you this morning that that just doesn't go well. But your word also reminds us that your hand is always out every day, every minute of the day, reminding us that you came not to make us perfect, but to make us live. And so, Father, I pray this morning that that spirit that lives in us would empower us to share that news with the world. Imprint that further on our hearts today than it's ever been. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.